That's the famous anthem about resilience and survival called Rise Again. It was written by the late Canadian composer Leon Dubinsky of Cape Breton Island. The Rankin family performed it and made his song a hit in 1993, but it's also been used since in recent years by Jewish groups for Holocaust commemoration. Dubinsky died last week at the age of 81, and he's one of the prominent Canadians we're highlighting on this episode of the CJN Daily's Honourable Mention. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, January the 24th, 2023. Welcome to Episode 6 of Honourable Mention, the CJN Daily series where we pay tribute to some of the honourable men and women who've left us in recent months. We're a Canadian Jewish news podcast, and we're sponsored by Metropia. With so much happening in the world, we at the CJN Daily think it's all the more important that we make sure to tell the life stories of some of the brightest lights of our community as they pass on. After all, we stand on the shoulders of giants like Leon Dubinsky and Rabbi Bernard Baskin of Hamilton, who died last week at 102. In this edition, you'll also learn about five Holocaust survivors who came to Canada after the war and built new lives and built up the community, including billionaire philanthropist Albert Reichman and Saul Feldberg, plus Holocaust speaker Gerda Freiburg, Montreal judge Maximilian Pollock, and Ottawa's long-serving cantor David Aptowitzer. From Winnipeg, Canada's oldest working stage actor, Doreen Brownstone, has passed away at 100 years old. She'd been on the Murdoch Mysteries and in many more films and plays, and she even taught swimming to hundreds of local kids. The late Toronto historian Michael Maris recently died, as have lawyers Jules Cronus and Norman Rapkin. They were fascinating people, and Ron Selleg's written about them over the years. He's the CJN journalist and obituary writer, and Ron is back with me now. Hey, Ron. Hey, Ellen. How are you? I am well. It's been a very busy couple of weeks, and we've lost so many important community leaders. Yes, it's been a busy month, and unusually so. We were taping today, uh, for our listeners, you should know, just hours after the news came out that Rabbi Bernard Baskin has passed away at the age of 102. So we should start with him because... Speaking of one of the longest serving synagogue clergy in Canada, for the people in Hamilton, he was the the, the rabbi forever. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, Rabbi Baskin served a generation in Hamilton and he was uh, uh, fondly known by uh, Jews and Gentiles alike as Hamilton's wise man, the older he got. And uh, that was sort of his his epitaph. He was um, best known as a spiritual leader of Temple Anshay Shalom, from 1949 to 1989, incredible 40 years, and then he was Rabbi Emeritus until 2017. CJN readers will know him from a column he wrote for the paper, Books on Books, Book Review, uh, that was weekly, which means that for years, years and years, accompanying that very well-known picture of him with his holding his um, hand up to his face and looking very pensive, he devoured you know, complicated books in a matter of days and found time to write really thoughtful reviews about them. And they were, it was one of the better read columns in the CJN. Everyone knew it and everyone looked forward to it. A well-known figure in Hamilton involved in uh, all kinds of uh, local efforts on poverty reduction and uh, uh, obviously serving a growing community. Hamilton has grown over the years. Lots of um, uh, people who've had it with Toronto are sort of moving around there um, to Dundas and Hamilton and so on. 
that synagogue where he was spiritual leader is the oldest reform congregation in the yes. country. Is that true? Yeah, I believe it is. I believe it predates Holy Blossom Temple. The building was dedicated in 1882, and it was uh, the synagogue's home for almost 70 years, the original location. The Houston, I believe it was on Houston Street. Lots of history in Hamilton. People don't always associate it. We think that history only happens in Toronto. But, We're going to start uh, getting hate mail as soon as this airs because of that. <laughs> well, well, we tend to think that. We know it's not true. Yeah, Rabbi Baskin was was extremely well-known and sort of the um, the eminence gris of, of uh, reform rabbis in Canada, really. Mm-hmm. After Dove Marmer, of course, passed away as well. Rabbi Baskin received, you know, tons of local honors, the Hamilton Gallery of Distinction, B'nai B'rith Awards. He received an honorary doctorate from McMaster. He was man of the year in Hamilton's Jewish community. His longtime uh, bride, Marjorie, died in 2005. They were married for an incredible 57 years. He was an American who came to Canada and, and took a pulpit at, this, uh, at the synagogue. Ron, here's Rabbi Baskin speaking about how he came to Hamilton in 1949 and what the organized Jewish community life was like then and how he changed it. We began to build up the congregations. We moved from where we had been downtown. We were the first congregation to move up to Westdale. We used to take new members into the congregation at $36 annually. And I remember my membership chairman would call me every night and say, we've got two new members, two new members. And this was the period of great growth. When I got here and didn't intend to stay, the congregation had to be 120 families. A couple of years later, when we moved out, we were about 300. And that growth was phenomenal. I want to bring up another honorable mention who passed away right here because we're talking about long-serving clergy, and that's Cantor David Aptowitzer. And I know him personally because being half from Ottawa, my family is from Ottawa, he was the cantor for 42 years at the original Agudath Israel Synagogue in Ottawa. My grandfather, Justice Abe Leaf, helped build that synagogue. And uh, that was his cantor prior to the synagogue amalgamating with Congregation Beth Sholem, and now it's known as KBI, Kilat Beth Israel. But I know that Cantor Abduister taught thousands of bar mitzvah kids, and he did thousands of brises. It's interesting, if you look up in the Ottawa Jewish archives, he kept a record of all the brises in these bris, bris books, uh, bris registers, you know, those old-fashioned uh, ledger-type books that you might have seen in an old-fashioned business. And his children gave them to the archives. That's an incredible artifact. Interesting story about him, too, is that he was a Holocaust survivor who escaped Poland as a teenager to get a, take a job in Russia, literally September 1939. And... Wow. Um, of course, becoming drafted into the Russian army, he ended up fighting against the Nazis as a soldier. He liberated Majdanek, but he lost most of his own family. And eventually he came to Canada as a war orphan and then lived in Montreal, went to McGill, went to Cantorial School. His wife and he had moved to Israel several years ago and uh, he died in Jerusalem. Incredible. Let's listen to Cantor David Aptowitzer here speaking about the time he got to sing as a young boy with one of the most famous virtuoso cantors in Europe at the time, Gershon Sirota, who would be murdered by the Nazis in 1943 when they destroyed the Warsaw Ghetto. Sirota came, came to Davon Shul in, in, in Tarnopol, and I had the privilege to sing with him in the shul. And I remember singing duets with Sirota when he came for it. Would you remember the, uh, the famous Ritachazana 
Many people may have read the obituary in the CJN about Albert Reichman. They were called the, the Rothschilds of, of real estate, and they were much more widely known than just in the Jewish community. Tell us what you know about the Reichmans and, and Albert. Well, Albert was part of that storied family, Toronto developer, philanthropist. He died at the age of uh, 93 last month, among the richest families in Canada, known for its uh, property development empire. Best known, I guess, associated with uh, First Canadian Place and Canary Wharf in the UK and uh, in London. Very orthodox people. Faith was uh, Robert Reichman, Albert's grandson, is quoted in Nobit as, as saying, "His faith was the entire identity of both Paul and Albert and the entire family. They grew Olympian York into one of the world's largest development firms. And uh, it was also became focused on the Soviet Union and really helping Soviet Jews at a time then when you weren't, you know, you weren't even allowed to be Jewish in the Soviet Union. And he went to the Soviet Union in his kippah. He was very, very proud of his faith. He wanted people to know, especially in Russia, that a, a prominent Jew was able to be that. He was one of five brothers born in Vienna to that Orthodox family. They established an egg-selling business. Then at the start of... 1938, I believe it was the year before the war started, the family fled presciently to Paris and then to Tangier, where they established also a very lucrative business, a foreign currency business. Albert's mother went to work to help Jews left behind in Europe. All Reichman boys were then lined up spending hours packaging food and rations and everything to deliver to uh, uh, whoever they could in Europe. Dozens of their family ended up perishing in the Holocaust. They transferred, they ended up transferring money into a, a London-based bank accounts and they bought, uh, used that money to buy gold, which financed their escape from Tangier. And they arrived in Canada. Albert arrived in 1959, I believe. His brothers, um, he and his brothers, Ralph and Paul, started building a real estate empire. It's true that um, there was a bankruptcy in 1992, but I mean, it didn't make them poor or anything. They still were at the helm of... Oh, God, dozens of charities and uh, in Toronto, yeshivas and, and even individuals, even individual families, they were known for helping. At its height, they were worth about, I don't want to sound crass about it, but they were worth about $14 billion. You know, there's also a tradition of interfamily lawsuits and fighting in many wealthy families. The Rogerses, for example, even sure. though they're not Jewish, we've all been following, you know, who's suing who about the control of the business. And the Reichmans were also not immune to that. Uh, not so much Albert, but mostly his brother's Ralph's family was in the news just this past yeah. year, being sued by a son, Abraham, saying that they you know, the family had denied him and his children their fair share of their trust. This was an eight-year-long court battle. And then Ralph decided that he would bring Albert into this as well. Just in April of 2022, the, the lawsuit was settled. The, the fact that Albert was sort of the behind-the-scenes partner in the brother's business, he wasn't the flamboyant one. Yeah, he was the George Harrison of the Reichman family. He was the quiet one. 
All in all, Albert was a very modest man and a very dignified man, and he carried himself a certain way. We're moving on, but we do want to stick to the theme of people who came to Canada after the Holocaust and and became leaders of the community, well-respected. We lost uh, Holocaust speaker and educator Gerda Freiburg as well in the last few weeks. Did you know her? Have you ever covered stories? I did know her, and I knew her when she was. She was. I, I used to work at uh, Canadian Jewish Congress, Ontario region, where she was very, very active. She and Nate Leipziger, and a fellow survivor, founded the Holocaust Center, uh, which is now the Neuberger Holocaust Center, and about to open uh, um, a separate museum which has really, really grown over the years. So uh, they were known for mostly that, but Gerda was known for that and much more. She was uh, an incredibly energetic, active activist and advocate and speaker. She spoke to thousands of kids uh, beginning as early as 1962, when very few survivors were speaking about their, their travails. And uh, she did this in schools locally, then across Canada. She was at the forefront of the... Uh, complaints against um, Zundel and, and um, Ernst Zundel, Holocaust denier, and, and you know, far-right groups and things like that. It was a tumultuous time. So this was her way of, you know, living the life that, um, that was robbed from her. It was a kind of rags-to-riches story she had. Uh, she was born in 1925 in, in a German-speaking Polish village. The reason it was German-speaking because it was once part of Germany. They were said to be the sole Jewish family in the village, so that must have been fun. She witnessed her father being deported, one of some among her fantastic, she had fantastic memories, and she could just, just pull them out. She was on a bus in Berlin in 1936 during the Olympics. She spotted Jesse Owens, the, the sprinter. And then on the same bus, here comes a car carrying Adolf Hitler and his entourage who are on their way to some Olympic function, the entire bus stopped, traffic ground to a halt, and everyone raised the uh, Nazi salute with cries of Heil Hitler. Obviously, she never forgot that. As you said, Ron, Goethe was a spellbinding storyteller. Here she is. It's a long clip from her testimony to Steven Spielberg's Shoah Foundation collection. And we were walking, and it was already May, and it was raining, and it's in the mountains, and it's cold, and we only have that one coat, and it's soaked, and there is nowhere to dry that wet clothes. You put it on in the morning again as you took it off in the evening, and you're marching in the column there, and they give you the shovel, and you are they're walking with the dogs, and you don't dare to even look up. And one day we hear planes overhead, and we look up. It looks like it's snowing. And as it comes closer down, we realize these were uh, flyers, pieces of paper. Immediately, the orders from the guards that if you dare to pick one up, they shoot you. Well, they cannot control a thousand women and all the paper that was come down. As one piece of paper came close by me, I put a shovel of dirt on top of it and continued working. And when I picked it up later and took it to camp and read it, it was a message for us. Hold on. We are coming to liberate you. And I can only think of the pilot who flew over enemy territory to give us the greatest gift of all. He gave us hope. I'm sorry I never met her. I did come across in my life the late Michael Maris, famous Canadian 
professor, Holocaust historian. Our sister podcast, the, the Bonjour Chai team, have done a, a retrospective on his life because he was cancelled in the modern day sense of cancel culture <clears throat> late in his career. Maybe you can tell us briefly. Yeah, I mean, for people who followed Michael Maris the way I did and wrote about him and, and wrote about the amazing things he did and what a fantastic scholar he was and how he was, you know, was in there really in the fray of, of trying to pry open these ultra-secretive Vatican archives on the wartime Pope, Pope Pius XII. Um, and then in 2017, says something silly and says something that was meant as a joke, meant something lighthearted. It was uh, September 2017 at a Massey College luncheon uh, that he, as I say, he intended it as a lighthearted, it offended a black student, it need not repeat it here. There was a public outcry, there were articles in the press, and etc. Maris apologized, and he went on to resign as a senior fellow of the college, and uh, ended up conceding that it was, you know, a poor effort at, at humor, but there was no ill intent involved, which I think people believed. And even after, uh, I mean, the Globe and Mail made the point of saying that Maris had been treated unfairly, which was just as unacceptable as the remark he made. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it was a different world, but he was um, he said those remarks in the time where we had the Me Too movement coming and Black Lives Matter coming and, and much more awareness of microaggressions and racism and equity problems in academia. And um so he was cancelled. It was a sad way to end an illustrious career that he did make a big contribution to Canadian history and uh, the history of the Vatican and how it has so many uh, Jewish artifacts and, and relics from, uh, from that period. All right, Ron, so we have some honorable mention to briefly go over, and we have devoted space in the CJN's website, uh, Fuller Obituaries, but do start off, please, with Saul Feldberg. Well, um, yep, Saul was born in Poland, came to Canada in 1953. He and his wife, Toby, founded something called the Global Furniture Group in 1966 and another company called the Technion Group, unrelated to the Technion in Israel in 1983, and built them into worldwide leaders in what is called office and institutional furniture, I guess high-end uh, office furniture. Uh, Saul also founded something called the Milestone Group and built that, into a huge commercial, industrial, and retail property management company. Saul was an amazing man and quite the philanthropist. He Order of Canada in 2018 and ended up, if I read you their list of philanthropic endeavors, it would just pretty much be every organization in the community. Uh, main ones being Beit HaLochem, Tel Aviv Foundation, Haifa Foundation, Jerusalem College of Technology, Israel Cancer Research Fund, on and on and on. Very generous couple and um, uh, a real rags to riches story, uh, another. And again, uh, one of the wealthiest families in Canada. Well, maybe he needed a good tax lawyer. Uh, and <laughs> that's a bad segue to, to introduce you to uh, Norman Rapkin, who passed away. He was an American-born tax lawyer and law professor at McGill, first Jewish officer working in the history of the Royal Bank. He was a VP there. His funeral, yep. after his retired, they moved to Portland, Maine, again, where he was buried. Also, speaking of people who worked and lived full, full lives, Doreen Brownstone of Winnipeg, mm -hmm. 
She was called the Grand Dame of Theatre in Winnipeg because she was still acting in her 90s. The oldest, she was the oldest living working stage actor in Canada doing theatre. I think she was performed in about 100 different uh, theatre productions in her lifetime and a champion swimmer. She came over Mm -hmm. as a war bride. The name Brownstone, of course, is very well known in, in Manitoba. She was a British born and then during the war, she served in the RAF and acted in the entertainment area, you know, for the soldiers. And that's, I guess, where she met her soldier husband. And and she was a war bride. So Doreen Brownstone. They did have her in Driving Miss Daisy, which kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> also Fiddler um, on the Roof. Right. Also, she worked with some of the most famous Canadian theater royalty. For our listeners, you might know the name Gordon Pinsent. Uh, he was an actor and director. John Hirsch was co-director of Stratford. So she and she was part of that whole uh, circle of artists in that generation in Canada. We're going to end off with two more names. We have a full obituary, uh, a tribute by his daughter in the CJN, but Jules Cronus, some cool facts about the lawyer and political activist. He sold programs at Maple Leaf Gardens right up until he started working as a lawyer. So for like 16 years. Exactly. Yeah. He was known as the program guy and he he jostled to get the, the best spot at Maple Leaf Gardens, which is just as soon as you walk in. And he had to work his way up to do that. Uh, another guy who did very, very well and very well known in, in progressive conservative circles, came to know Joe Clark. Personally, came to know his wife, who had been friends with Maureen McTeer and um, was a, a real stalwart uh, in the community. Uh, also very well known in, in uh, certain philanthropic circles. I remember him personally from... Canadian Society for Yad Vashem, he was involved in, and a uh, very approachable man. And whenever whenever I wanted a, a quote-unquote conservative comment, I'd phone Jules Cronus and he never failed me. I know his daughter has been uh, active and ran in the the recent federal elections uh, in the uh, on the West Coast. Very, very brave of her to run for the conservatives in the riding she ran in, which was an NDP riding. And uh, game, very, very game, also a lawyer and... Uh, has a, a side side business on uh, doing jewelry design, Tamara, and um, you know we have to watch out for her because I think she's going to do go on to do great things. One other interesting thing is that his uncle was Phil Stone, who was a famous Toronto DJ on Chum Radio, and played the first ever rock and roll record in Canada, 1957, and the song was Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. Around the clock. There you <laughs> the go. family name was actually Finkelstone, and so Uncle Phil changed the name or shortened it to be, you know, more acceptable, non-Jewish name on the radio. They were from Glasgow, Scotland. I didn't story. know that about him. And uh, lastly, uh, we bid goodbye to Maximilian Pollock in Montreal. I'll let you tell everyone who he was. Uh, I, re- I remember Max Pollock. He was, uh, when he was... Um, Set, it, they, then they were called commissioners for the Protestant, what was then called, again, I'm dating myself, the Protestant School Board of Greater Montreal, very well known for advancing uh, Jewish issues at the PSBGM. Uh, he was born in the Netherlands, actually, in 1930, came to Canada and when he was in his early 20s, when earned a law degree. Um, he was a municipal court judge. Then I said, went to the school board, he entered provincial politics. He was an MNA for the writing of St. Anne. Uh, and became deputy whip in the mid-80s. He left politics and then became a Quebec criminal court judge. So um, another another wonderful full life. So we've paid tribute to honorable mention uh, men and women who've passed away in the last few weeks from the Jewish community. Big losses. 
And it's been wonderful for you to tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about people who maybe they, they, they learned something today that they didn't already know. And for the families, our deepest condolences. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia, Integrity, Community, Quality, and Customer Care. If you want to read more about our honorable mentions, we've put the links in our show notes to full obituaries and articles that appear on the CJN website. Thanks for listening, and let's hear from you about your encounters or memories of our honorable mention. Write to me at ebessner at thecjn.ca. And we'll end with a very funny clip from the late Rabbi Baskin and his late wife Marjorie, taken about five years ago when they were being interviewed by the Hamilton Jewish News about getting married in 1948, around the time of Israel's independence, and then going on their honeymoon. Oh, we were married the week that the state of Israel was founded. We spent all our time listening to the radio. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it wasn't the exact date because we listened to the United Nations and all that stuff on our honeymoon. Was it really touch and go? What, the honeymoon? Why did we listen to the vote in the United (laughs) Nations? The honeymoon of Israel. Not the honeymoon, but I love that. That's very, very good. This whole conversation is... Honeymoon was mostly touch more than go, right? (laughs) 